0: We are nominated for our first award. It is for nonfiction podcast of the year. We are up against some pretty cool competition, one being the King Cast. And uh all you gotta do is go to thisishard.co.uk slash awards. They will tell you the easy guidelines how to do your voting today. Please vote for us or another show if you want. Or us. Hey, horror fiends, it's Tim Levin here from the UK.
1: I'm delighted to be an author guest at Horror on Main. Really hope you can join us there. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be scary. There's gonna be lots of books for sale. Oh, it's gonna be glorious. So I hope, really hope to see you there. I'm looking forward to it so much. Be scary, keep reading, be safe.
2: Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. Hi, I am Erica T. Worth, author of the indigenous literary horror uh, novel White Horse, which is out now with Flatiron Macmillan. And it is about Carrie, who is an urban Indian woman who loves heavy metal and loves horror but despises her mother because she believes that her mother abandoned her when she was two days old. And when her, uh, her cousin Debbie discovers an ancient bracelet of her mother's and uh, Carrie touches the bracelet, um, her mother's ghost begins to haunt Carrie and a monster invades her dreams. And Carrie decides that she needs to find out what happened to her mother after all. Um, and some of the inspiration for this novel is urban indian life in denver colorado and it's also just you know my love of heavy metal and horror which was something where i went to school in idaho springs people loved and it's also a love song to old denver
3: hey it's well red beard uh, i appreciate you being here i'm back full time on my channel i would love for you to come over and subscribe. Just search Well Redbeard" on YouTube. Um, I delve deep into horror. I've spent the last three years uh, reading a ton of independent small press horror. There's treasure to be found there and I go out there and find it for you. I, I'm not afraid to tell you the books that aren't great while telling you the books that are great. I don't break hearts or hurt feelings but if a book doesn't work for me I will tell you that and I'll tell you why. I'm on a new mission now to to go back and dig into some great horror from the 80s and 90s. I'm working my way through Robert McCammon's books. I'm going to look at all of Peter Straub's work. I'm going to do Brian Keene. I've got aspirations to go back and do J.F. Gonzalez. A lot of the greats, so you have a good idea of where to start. I have a video up for J.F. Gonzalez's Survivor, so you can see what all the fuss is about. I recently read Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, so you can see what all the fuss is about. Uh, I just want you to come over and subscribe. I'm trying to grow the thing. I appreciate you taking a look at it. This is Well-Read Beard. I hope you're enjoying all your books as much as I am. If not, you're reading the wrong damn books.
0: I can hear myself talk and that's kind of to help if i hear my little guy banging on the door in the other room uh, when he's with his mother trying to get my attention can you guys hear anything in the background or is it just me
4: well my my little guy is in the room with me here so he's probably going to be interrupting me quite a bit that's so. fine
5: for that. a, i don't Remy's i don't have door kids door. so if you hear something here it's the ghost that lives in my house so <laughs> <laughs> if a door slams it's t- it's it's actually the ghost i, so. just,
0: <laughs> I just realized you have that all the stuff for your book in the background. Though. Yeah, that's my murder wall back there. That's awesome. Murder um, wall. My office oh. does not have a murder wall. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today we are joined by returning guest, Lisa Cantoral. Say hello, Lisa. Hi,
4: everybody. How's it going?
0: pretty good and uh we're also joined by dr jerry drake say hello doc hello we're gonna be talking about their book coming out um but before that if you want to listen to us and are unsure of it at this point we are also on youtube for the video version you can find us on any audio uh place that you listen uh to the show amazon alexa you name it we're on there so let's get started um jerry what got you into horror into horror oh my yeah, god what got you in
5: horror so i grew up on the the howling plains of west texas way one of the most remote places in the lower 48 we had three tv stations and uh you know my parents didn't have a lot of education and you know my grandfather was a cajun guy who read a lot of Lafcadio Hearn and that kind of stuff. And he had one count them one HP Lovecraft uh, uh, anthology that he decided was fine for a three to four year old kid to listen to. So uh, listening to Papa read Lovecraft and Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Lafcadio Hearn and some of these sort of, you know, Southern Gothic writers, Steinbeck, just, you know, lit my imagination of fire. And the second thing that did it for me was, of all things, <clears throat> the uh, Bing Crosby Disney um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I I became absolutely obsessed with Sleepy Hollow. Hey! In upstate New York. I don't don't hurt my feelings. I know upst- I know Sleepy Hollow is not in Upstate, hey! but hey! and then add in Peter Straub and Ghost Story and Bingham to New York, and I just became obsessed. You know, as this weird West Texas kid with. You know, the deep woods of the Hudson Highlands and uh, no. Ichabod Crane and Syracuse and all that stuff. So a, a combination of loving Lovecraft Country and Peter Straub's universe just s- set me on fire. So as soon as I could move to the East Coast, you know, obviously I'm in the government. I'm in D.C. I, I got here just as, as fast as I could. And, you know, the back end of my career is going to be focused on writing about upstate New York and its mysteries you know, and, and kind of, obviously this is an unsolved murder. Uh, my next one is going to be a lost treasure, wink, wink. So a good one. Um, so that, that's really what did it
0: for me. Ronnie, right, go ahead, buddy.
1: I was going to say, you know, besides what you mentioned, um, and, you know, not diving quite into Hazel Drew just yet, what are some of your favorite, uh, kind of, I guess, urban legends and folktale things uh, in that New
5: York area that you'd love to share with people? Oh, uh, my my absolute favorite, besides Hazel, who I, who I actually found pretty, pretty recently, is going to be the subject of the next book, which is Dutch Schultz's Lost Treasure. Um, Dutch Schultz was a gangster who was headquartered uh, in and around the Catskills. And uh, so one of his partners was a guy named um, Legs Diamonds, who was actually apprehended there in Troy or Lisa lives so I'm I, I really what got me into the area was I was obsessed with the mobsters that live up there but spiritualism American spiritualism was born in upstate the Fox sisters um were out near uh Rochester New York the first people to do the table wrapping seances and all that stuff so crazy about the Fox sisters and their weird seance stuff um mormonism was born in upstate new york so was a seven-day adventism so a lot of what we associate with um sort of spooky stuff the paranormal all came out of what they call the burned over district of new york in the early 19th century because it's just a dark wooded heavy area and then right across not too far from where lisa lives right across the border into vermont is where the uh uh, the Bennington Triangle starts. The missing people out there—that uh, Paula Jean Weldon, who disappeared, and inspired the book *The, the Hangzeman*, written by Shirley Jackson—that's Shirley Jackson country, just freaking fifty miles from where Lisa lives. So, I mean, take your pick. Anything that has to do with the weird, the occult, uh, came out of that region between um, between Vermont and and uh, Rochester. But yeah, cool. it's got to be it's got to be Dutch Schultz. Like he's the best. <laughs>
1: now i'm gonna jump in before patrick because i know he's about to uh reference the bridgewater triangle out oh yeah uh, where we live let's Um, do it and
6: (laughs)
0: never
1: talked about that once oh my yeah my ass you have um but the um you know a a lot of the kind of uh spiritual nature of that comes from or at least you know uh (laughs) anecdotally comes from king philip's war i'm wondering what in your opinion makes. upstate New York such a
5: hotbed? So upstate was weird before white settlers got here. That area around um, Glastonbury Mountain in, in Vermont, of course, is, was weird even when people first settled it to try to get gold out of that area. But the area around Saratoga Springs was already considered like a almost like a stone hinge of American native uh, settlement and ritual. So it was strange when people already got here. And you know i mean we're on a podcast right so i i mean there are places where people say the the veil between reality and unreality are very thin and and you know certainly the long trail around glastonbury mountain in vermont is one but saratoga springs is really a place where the you know that that area is incredibly liminal and you know one minute you're in a cool bookstore at a cool hotel and the next minute you're in the woods just a million miles from 2022, so I Saratoga is like the center of the the sort of Bermuda Triangle of upstate New York, and and it's true. Like people who go up there go go crazy. Like is you just open the newspaper and there's a ghost story, there's a unsolved murder, it's things that we've forgotten about. And again, it was the home of the spiritual revival that made the modern American for better or for worse evangelical movement. So it's it's just a strange place.
0: Brandon, I was actually going to surprisingly not bring that up in all seriousness. <laughs> I was going to bring it up because you're he's, he's talking about Vermont, and um, it is about two and a half hours north of uh, Bennington. Uh, mm-hmm. But East Corinth, that's a place where oh, yeah. Yeah, some of my um, one of my best friends, their family has a place there. And East Corinth is probably best known for some uh, major focal points for Beetlejuice. Like the bridge scene, for those that don't know, or the house on the hill. The house isn't there anymore. Um, but I just remember spending a few days there, and there's like so few people there. It's like I grew up in New England. I spent time, plenty of time in Maine and in New Hampshire. Wow. There, it's so green everywhere. It, it's really kind of beautiful, but really creepy. Because once it's nighttime, you don't like even in the daytime. Rather, you don't see really anyone, and you see the same five people, you know, at the one tiny store. It's just it's an interesting state, and I'm glad that you brought it up and told us all that stuff because it's it's just. Uh, and well, I want not...
5: I want to get Lisa in on this because she she and I went out to the the trailhead the the Long Trail about a year ago, and and it was was freaking crazy and she went to college at Marlboro College which is in the middle of nowhere in Vermont oh, I didn't I actually didn't know Lisa that. what was that like when we were at the long trail you 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 got it full in the face I think
4: um I I remember when I first went to college in Vermont and the being in the woods up there was unlike any other kind of woods I'd ever been in there's just like <laughs> big chunks of crystal in, in the ground and just mushrooms and it's it's so like it just seems like some kind of weird, bizarre fairyland. And when we went to the trail, um, it felt like those times. And when I was in college, I was pretty much always high when I was in the woods. So That's that nice. might have enhanced <laughs> the, the witchy vibes. But I was not on anything when I went with Jerry. And um, it felt like I told him, it felt like I walked into a magic store. What does that mean? Like everything, (laughs) it was like a hum in
5: the air. It was just yeah, there was a hum in
4: the air, and also like everything you see is a tool. Like you see a branch, you're like that's a wand. You see like oh, like everything is imbued with mystical powers. That
0: sounds so awesome.
5: We we went to Shirley Jackson's house and I had to stop yeah. Lisa from like literally going in the front door. I was like, "You can't go in; people live there." Tough. And she's like, was "No, no, no." Was... <laughs>
6: so pissed. Wait,
0: okay. Um, I know how writers are. Like, when Peter Straub died, it, it blows my fucking that mind hit. that it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for a lot of us, man. But like, nationally. I don't, I'm not even talking about internationally. Nationally, it wasn't, I'm not aware of any like news channel that maybe locally in New York somewhere, but I'm not aware of on a, a national um, news channel that mentioned it. And I feel like it's it should have been. And um, I bring that up because I'm surprised Shirley Jackson is a massive name too. I'm surprised that's not like a museum or, or something. No, it's a private residence. That's weird. <laughs> in That's fact, so if, it up,
5: if it comes up for sale, I'm going to buy it.
4: <laughs> it's a cute yeah. house.
5: It's a really cool house.
4: I, I, did, um, I did touch the tree outside. <laughs> right. I have this Lisa thing where, here. where I think trees <laughs> talk to me, and so I touched it, and the words I heard in my head were, you have to break the bones to fix them. Right. That's what I heard.
0: That's amazing. That sounds pretty neat. But uh trees do talk. I mean, not to people, well, but they do talk to each God. other. There's a, a tree, is a big part of Hazel Drew's story. So
4: Yeah, the, as well. My my whole touching tree thing is what led us <laughs> into trouble. I gotta stop <laughs> touching trees. And then I'm meeting <laughs> ghosts. They seem to be connected.
0: I wanna okay. If there's more to talk about that, then let's definitely do that. I I before we go too much further, I want to talk about um with you jerry i want to hear what your whatever comes to mind when i say king phillips war sure so just tell us whatever you want to know because for me it's pretty insane that that's not studied very much too like it's I'm, not like like i'm big on the korean war that's pretty much not even a tidbit but never mind that, that we're talking about king phillips war which is per capita the bloodiest war ever on u.s territory and like it's it's not
5: so I think you're referring to it as war Uh, properly we should refer to it as genocide I mean King Philip's war was a war of extermination perpetuated by white settlers on a native population that was not prepared for what happened and that's why we don't talk about it because it doesn't fit the myth of American culture you know weirdly enough that's what my my master's and PhD were actually on was symbology and myth making in American history and king philip's war doesn't fit our story right like this was a a time when we got super dark and got super bad and just did some some serbia croatia shit (laughs) you know and the legend is is that king philip cursed the land and supposedly there's this interesting thing you know my buddy tim renner could talk about this better he's he's on the strange familiars podcast he knows this stuff better than i do so i'm gonna give him full credit right now but there's this weird arc of legends that starts in Central Europe in the, in the Ile de France and moves North England, Iceland, Lower Greenland, around the top of Canada into New England, down to about Southern Pennsylvania where we have the albatwitches of little people. Um, they, they call them elves in Ireland and alpha, you know, and in Germany, they're elves. But in, uh, in, in Vermont and Northern Massachusetts, they're called puckwudgies. And so the legend is that the Pukwudgies sort of inhabit that area and are a product of King Philip's curse. And, you know, the idea is, is that this war was so bad that it's perpetually ruined, ruined the land for settlers. But the reason why we don't study King Philip's war is because it does not fit the hunky-dory, you know, Americans are good people kind of narrative of, of settlement. And, and I mean... Fair is fair. You know, that was a very different time in which white settlers were greatly outnumbered and there was a lot of violence and we didn't have the values we have today. But it it is, you're absolutely right. It's an era of history that we really need to re-examine. Same with the French and Indian War. Like, you know, we, we study the French and Indian War as this kind of footnote in history, but it actually is the thing that led to the American Revolution because the Brits, defended us in a war and then we <laughs> refused to pay for it. So you know, that's why they wanted all those taxes is because we they wrapped up they racked up a massive war debt, you know, defending us and then we were like, ah, sorry, sucker. We're not we're not gonna pay you back for that. So you know that's an era in colonial history that's just really un unevaluated.
0: Wow. Uh I don't even know where to start with that. And I'm just gonna throw <laughs> in one more random Korean war thing that does sure. my brain's connecting it. But <clears throat> um, like any war, it's terrible. A lot of incidents die, but the US raised I think it's like eighty five percent of the land in North Korea. And they weren't the North Korea back then that they were that no are now no. that they were back then. Um and we there was uh, uh, books buried, there was uh, a lot of U.S. troops in the early days that slaughtered Southern Koreans, and Southern Koreans slaughtered a lot of Northern Koreans, and Chinese got involved after all that, so there's uh, yeah, it's interesting when you actually Well, the Korean you know,
5: War was World War II Part one, right? You know, it, the whole idea was that was the birth of, of the you know, the domino theory, and we believed that we had to check communism or it would go unchecked, but you know, we fought the Second World War under what they called the doctrine of total war, which required, you know, making war on civilian populations, and that's why we killed more people in the firebombing of Dresden, and the bombing of Tokyo than we did at Hiroshima and Nagasaki because we we made total war on civilian populations, which is absolutely a war crime. Twenty twenty two, I gotta my my boss would be mad at me if I didn't say that. <laughs> but but by Korea, we were starting to sober up, right, and we realized we just couldn't go in and 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 blow up Pyongyang, we had to actually, you know, attack military targets. And as a result, we lost that war. <laughs> you know, we, lo- we lost Korea and Vietnam because we focused solely on military targets. And no matter how much tonnage we could throw at them, I mean, I'm sorry, Robert McNamara, but it just didn't work. We 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 lost those wars because that's not how you win war. I mean, so now we do different things. But you're right, we did some terrible things in, in North Korea that that would just not be considered political today.
0: Yeah, and last historic thing, um, I don't think I'm going to be telling you anything new here, Jerry. But it's interesting that uh, Korean War was directly responsible for the Vietnam War, and yep, that's something 100%. that I I didn't know that until I because I'm I've been researching it for well over a year now, and it's just interesting because that affects a lot of uh, Asia still to this day. Um, Brennan, how about you lead us into the next discussion of of the book?
1: So I, I, I thought you were going to throw history stuff at me and you know, that's oh, not man, this my fault. I
5: thought it was going to be. You're talking about my day job. I
1: love it. <laughs> Seriously though, Patrick, oh, okay. if you, if you want to continue on, you know, uh, in history, like that's, that's, that's your ballpark. You don't have to throw it out.
0: No, I'm no, good. Don't. Okay. no I, uh, I don't fun. know where I'm going with it. And my brains just going to, you know, float around there. And that's,
1: I don't know. Uh, I actually, I want to talk about the opening line to the book. Um, and I hope I hope it's okay to spoil it. Please it's do. Hard. We can
5: always remove it. I but... didn't give you the solution. I'm not going to divulge that, but you can definitely talk <laughs> yeah, about it. no. The I opening. mean, the, the sample pages,
1: I think there was a mistake in mine because it says the killer was, but then it blanks out. There's no yes, answer. Yes, it's on
5: purpose. <laughs> 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 oh, okay.
1: All right. Clever. You got to pay $12.95. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the first line of the book, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, forgive me, but it's, I don't believe in ghosts, but... And I I would like to know, you know, how how you reconcile that with some of the discussions we've had? Because I mean, it sounds like you are very very open minded and uh, just open to different kind of wavelengths and this and that and the other thing. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little
5: bit. Okay, so I've been waiting literally twenty five years for this question. So thank you so much. Um, (laughs) The opening line of the book is, "I don't believe in ghosts, but I've seen a ghost, and her name is Hazel Drew," and that like for years and years and years you know I grew up in a very spiritual household you know my my family are from the backwoods of Appalachia my aunt Lorraine was a you know a conjuring woman a white witch and my grandmother was from you know the backwoods of Amala- Appalachia and you know my mom is you know hears voices and channels spirits you know and I grew up in the Seventh Day Adventist tradition the charismatic pentecost and all that where you handle snakes and uh, fall on the ground and go crazy so I grew up in a very we did tarot growing up like we were steeped in that stuff growing up so my response to that was to kind of you know go full Reagan when I was in high school I mean I'm almost 50 so you know I grew up in the era of uh, you know St. Elmo's Fire and Michael J. Fox and all that stuff so I I became very preppy you know you can tell from the way I dress I'm still kind of in that vibe (laughs) <laughs> and so i became very skeptical and and became an active skeptic you know and I, I i'm a scientist obviously you know so I became interested in all that stuff and in getting it right you know and I studied anthropology and history and physics and philosophy and data science and all that stuff and for about you know as an angry young man i was angry at the you know the bullshit that i had been raised on but you know, as I got into my 30s and 40s, I began to realize that skeptics, the skeptical movement just had it all wrong. You know, you you can't tell people there's no such thing as ghosts, there's no such thing as God, there's no such thing as this, that, and the other thing, and have them just decide to not believe it, right? Like, these are stories that are integral to the human experience. So I, at at almost 49 years old, I, I obviously I didn't stick with Reagan, I'm a Flaming liberal shit lib is what Lisa's husband would call me. I'm a flaming liberal, Biden Democrat, you know, true blue. But my
0: my belief is for this show. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm wearing blue.
5: (laughs) I mean, it is what it is, you know, whether you like it or not, it is what it is. But but my take is you can do two things at once, right? Like I don't know what a ghost is, you know, but When I have been in some places, whether I believe in ghosts or not, I have seen things that I cannot explain, and I have experienced the thing that people who believe in ghosts call ghosts. Does that make sense? If I can explain it scientifically, then I will explain it scientifically. But if I can't, I will use that name for the phenomena uh, the same way any good anthropologist would call any experience they have of the noumenal the numinous, the liminal—exactly uh, what the people in camera call it. So you know that's how I can do it. I can I can see both sides at the same time. I can play the game, right? Where if if I know it's not a haunting, I am happy to debunk it. But if I can't explain it, I am more than happy to play the play the role of of the person who is having that experience. And my experience with hay still haven't been exactly like that. I've had some experiences that I cannot explain. And at the end of the day that I don't want to explain <laughs> because it's integral to the narrative and the story. I, I don't know if Hazel is a ghost, but she sure as hell acts like one.
4: Yeah. I don't know what else she would be. I mean, I, I don't know what else were, she would be. I think you were, I mean, when I, when I met Jerry, uh, we, we met, uh, I don't know. When did we meet? A while ago.
5: <laughs> Pretty good. while ago.
4: Um, We were both in a horror writing group and um, that's how we met. And uh, he at the time was already like basically his hobby was to look for weird shit. So like stuff like the Jersey devil like, <laughs> he would go to Norway to try to, I mean, Iceland to try to take pictures of fairy lights. Like that's what he would do. I, in- I succeeded. <laughs> yeah, he did take pictures. Um, and, uh, but he, w- he was a skeptic. He was kind of, he was very Moulder like he was very like, I want to believe. But he didn't believe, but he really wanted to, but he didn't. And then when the Hazel stuff happened, um, it's like he got his whole brain rewired and uh, Hazel made him a believer. It, it, She did it.
5: Well, I'll tell you a story.
4: She was and... a real believer because I had. she was my second ghost encounter. So I had met a ghost before, but meeting Hazel was like next level shit. It's not just a lot of people talk about ghosts like, oh, this thing happens, you know? Oh, there's an indentation in the bed. Oh, somebody, some phantom of trauma runs through a house at some point. Like that is not, that's not what this is. That's not what this is at all. This is a being that is very focused, very driven. And if she wants to talk to you, she's going to talk to you.
5: So I'll, I'll tell you a story that I can't explain and it's not in the book because it's a little too outrageous, but it's, we're going to cover it. I'm going to do a little podcast about the book and I'm going to cover it in that. All of this started in Salem, Massachusetts, a number of years ago when Lisa and I, my wife and a couple of people we know, one writer you may or may not know, Lisa Marie Basile went out just to kind of have a fun weekend. And I rented this house on the coast and we were hanging out and Lisa Lisa and I had gone to the old burying yard there in Salem and we had we had looked at the memorial for the witches there and we were leaving and I was kind of kicking around in the sand. It was April, so the land was dry and I found this skeleton key laying in the dirt by one of the graves there at the end and I slipped it into my pocket and took it home with me and I've had it ever since it hangs here on the wall and about a year later when we started doing the hazel drew investigation and we had our encounter with hazel through of course a series of dreams because this is the story that inquired you know inspired twin peaks we 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 realized that lisa's house probably had a connection to hazel and her time there
4: the one and i was just just
6: moved in one you
5: just sold or, or or renting out to another great writer <laughs> weirdly yeah. enough. um and so I came up the very first weekend that um, they got the house. It was close to my birthday, and it was very cold, and I was going to help do a little work so we could move in, and I wanted to start the Hazel Drew investigation, and I brought this key with me. It is not a skeleton key. I, I have a house from the 1870s. It's, mailed by, it's made by the Yale Lock Company in Connecticut. Did all the research on it. It's a unique key. It doesn't open any of the locks in my house or any of the, the old skeleton key locks in the State Department. And I went into the bedroom in that house that Lisa calls Hazel's room. And there is an old lock in there. And I put this key in, I turned it, and it unlocked that door. It is a one in a 100 million chance that this key from Salem, Massachusetts, would fit that door in York, or excuse me, in Troy, New York. And I later discovered, though. This is a piece that can't go in the book because I don't have enough evidence. There's nothing in the book that, that can't be verified that her killer visited Salem, Massachusetts the year that uh, they knew each other. So I can't explain how this key got there. I can't explain how I got it. How would a key that was dumped in 1908 show <laughs> up in that cemetery and just so happen fit a lock in, in Troy, New York. It doesn't make any effing sense. So... I mean, fine, do the math, do the skeptic thing, you know, go for it. But I'm just going to leave it where it sits.
1: Yeah, it's a a perfect, um, I guess, follow up. I can't think of a better word to to that. Your your thoughts on on skepticism because, like you said, okay, of course, you know, coincidentally, that could happen, but the odds are just astronomical. That's oh, you got me uh, goosebumping over here, Jerry. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's yeah, that is it's
4: crazy. crazy. I get insane all over again, and honestly, I get them every time I talk about her.
5: I mean, that story is insane. It's a hundred percent true, and it's a hundred percent. <laughs> fucking insane <laughs> so i mean you wonder why i'm kind of giggling the, here because it, it's, it's
4: insane it's probably the least crazy thing <laughs> of all the crazy things I've experienced honestly
0: to me the most the simplest explanation is is the one that some people call crazy the facts yeah. are right there yeah we had lisa and christoph for those just saying for those that don't know christoph paul and um and lisa they run clash books We have them on uh, on episode 83. That was April of 2021. Uh, She mentions on that episode, the book, not much, but just enough for intrigue. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) me and Brennan have been waiting patiently for a while with this. And uh, it's going to be another year, but it's it's coming.
4: This is this is great because this is the first promo spot. Thank you so much for having us. Oh on for sure, absolutely.
6: It. We, we this love... is like
4: a favorite thing to talk about. So um, I just wish I didn't have this little distraction here. But
0: oh, we we'll have you guys back next year if you want. Oh, yeah. But we we love what you guys oh, do. Of course, love to. I was hoping
4: he'd mm-hmm. be asleep.
0: We love what the clash does, and I just want to focus on them for just a second. <laughs> Um, we love what they do because there's not only a literally a choice for anyone that likes horror dark fiction, just whatever. It's not just one category, but um it's all hits. Like Michael, uh I always mess up his last name.
6: Sidlinger.
0: S- Sidlinger. Sidlinger. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that is such a weird book, but it's so creepy, and it reminds me of Whenever I see on like Twitter, what's the creepiest book you read? I usually go with an answer that might be weird for people, but I pick Red Dragon because of uh, Francis Dollarhide, and I always yeah. think about him. Um, when he's outside on a tree looking in on a family before he kills them, and and that was kind of like that book that Michael wrote, Anyone Home? Just
4: yeah. it gets under your skin. It just yeah it was interesting reading it as the publisher doing like copy edits and stuff. And, um, you know, and I've known Michael many years as well. Um, and, uh, it, it was really creepy because I totally was picturing him as the character. <laughs> and it, like, he just had that. I could see him not doing all of that, but I could see him being able to do it, like finding it in his, Cause he's just so like nonchalant. I think that's the, the creepiest thing about that voice is, is like, this is how we're going to get into the houses and assault people and perform it for people and do all this really disturbing stuff. And there's just this dissociation of just like, we just got to get it right. That's all that matters. Just get it right. You know, and there's no emotion and there's just like, you have to be so you got to have like these nerves of steel, you know, you know that you're going to be doing all this stuff and you just come and show up at somebody's house and you pretend you're like a handyman or something like that. Like, and people do this stuff, you know,
6: um,
4: it was interesting actually at his event at the strand, uh, he and Rob Hart talked and, um, Michael let everybody know that he did used to actually, um, Rob houses, (laughs) um, (laughs) So it is, uh, there's a reason it feels authentic, and that's, I mean, he didn't murder anybody and torture anybody, but he did steal shit, and he did pretend to be people, to case houses and stuff like that. So there is some uh re-add. So next time you read it, or whoever hasn't read it, know that um, it's legit.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he mentioned that, and I, all I could say to him was that's really... It makes me sad because he's such a nice guy and then he was in a Yeah, very, no, it's shitty he
4: was in that kind of position where he desperate felt desperate position, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And the other one I want to mention, and then I wanna jump into clash with uh you, Jerry, is um the other book <laughs> that I still will never ever forget. Uh that you <laughs> are the first person to have me forward a book there, Lisa. Uh for the Pussy Detective by Duvet Knox. <laughs> ah,
6: ah, ah. <laughs> can I it can I
5: can I
0: tell a story right quick while she's oh, with? Go Randy? ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So go ahead.
5: when that when that book arrived, Lisa and I were just having it, like we're pals and we were just having a chat. She was hanging out, and and this look comes over her face where she's like, and I was like, what what happened? I thought somebody died. And she's like, you got to see this. You got to see this. And she sent me this thing, and and she and I and Christoph looked at it all at the same time. I was laughing so hard that my my i had tears running down my face and i was like she's like what are you thinking i was like if you don't publish this even if you go bankrupt you have to publish this it's just so insane <laughs> but we all saw it at the same time and and she's like you gotta read this thing it was so funny and duvet writes in that that style it was just hilarious <laughs> he's <laughs> an interesting guy
0: like,
6: yeah.
0: he, he i I did not expect this. He was—he uh, used to be a stand-up comedian, and yeah, I guess yeah. I don't—I don't know if he knew, but he had a big offer to go further with his career. But he said that basically it was lose dignity to get a dream job, yeah. and he chose the self-respect and dignity. I don't know what that involved. We didn't ask him, but it's interesting because yeah. um, everyone, you know, a lot of creatives want this dream and. When reality comes, sometimes you gotta pay a price that might not be super great to live with. Um, it's just cool hearing a story where he's like, no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted that, right? yeah. Yeah. Um okay. I'm just trying to get a timestamp. Zoom doesn't tell me, so we are like 40 minutes in. My next question was for Lisa, which is why I'm stalling right now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> We're actually gonna be publishing another book by Duvet. Oh cool. Uh, oh she came
0: out of left field
4: <laughs> Writing it right now. Um it's gonna be called yeah. Booty Holocaust.
0: <laughs> Wait, what's it called?
4: It's called Booty Holocaust Holocaust. That's what it's called.
0: Insert it's kind of joke.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually a title that uh, Christoph came up with uh, <laughs> that he had wanted to write a while ago and, and didn't write. But, yeah, so we're kind of letting him do his thing. He's um, funny,
0: Christoph. It's funny, and he—I don't hear him talk a lot, but when he does, he's funny.
4: Yeah, he can be funny. <laughs> it's
0: all right, <laughs> I, you know. Um, I so. I was going to ask you won a humor
4: award actually for his uh Did that's really? true uh, okay. one of his like debut uh, nonfiction collection no kidding yep.
0: so yeah not i making I was impressed, enough. Up. He's with
4: I was impressed <laughs> enough with that collection that I considered dating
6: him <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay uh let's talk about you and Jerry before I get myself in trouble for asking <laughs> stupid jokes uh, jokey questions um. W- <laughs> It looks like you're looking at Jerry <laughs> every time you turn your head. <laughs> Brenny, go ahead. I'm just being a dumbass right now. Just, just you go. You talk. You make words. I, I think.
1: I think what Patrick wants to ask is basically, how did the book come about and, and <laughs> end up in Clash's hands? Nailed it.
4: <laughs> wanting to talk about this. Can um, you start,
1: um, Lisa?
6: You tell okay, that so, story better. Than well,
4: okay. So basically, <laughs> I'm gonna try to tell as fast as I can. This is I, no matter how many times I tell people it's it's so hard to pace it right because it's just full of so many little weird things, but it is very Twin Peaks, uh, that's for sure. Um, so basically, um, we were living in New Hampshire, me and Kristoff were living in New Hampshire for a while. Um, we finally decided we got to get to upstate New York. We need to be closer to New York. We need more, more shit around us. It was like a wasteland. There's was like turkeys, rednecks, and meth heads. Like that's literally, it was our life so um it was getting the shining up there like we were going crazy um so we started shopping and we finally found a really cute little bungalow craftsman bungalow in troy uh by uh rensselaer polytechnic on the hill right up from the town of troy which we found very cute and walkable kind of brooklyn like we're like yeah maybe we could writers could come visit here we could do readings and it's cool because we finally start our reading series As luck would have it, we moved during COVID. So a lot of stuff didn't happen for a while, but um, uh, right before COVID hit. So we were ready to close and um, it was the night before the house inspection. And um, on that night, I had a very strange dream. I dreamt that I was in this tiny room with books lining all the walls very dusty very dingy very dim like I could barely see anything I was in there with a man with a red beard sitting on a chair and um I was talking to him about just like what was I going to do with the house so I was thinking about the house in Troy I was thinking about how am I going to fit things can I make a walk-in closet can I make this room into a walk-in closet that was literally what I was thinking about because I've always wanted a damn walk-in closet Um, now I have one. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and then suddenly this woman just like materializes from the corner of the room, like the Cheshire cat, like we're fading in bit by bit. I've, I've had all kinds of crazy dreams. I have never seen shit like that. Just like literally. And she was just sitting there staring at me, just staring, staring at me. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I got really freaked out. And I asked the guy I'm with, I'm like, can you see that? He's like, let's see what? I'm like, fuck, it's a ghost. She's appearing to me. And I started getting like semi weirdly lucid in the dream, just like feeling like this wasn't a normal dream. And like, this was actually somebody trying to reach at me through the dreamscape. And I started screaming because I got ghost vibes and I was really scared. And I'm like grabbing this guy. I'm screaming my head off. And then she just like deadpan. She's like, are you done? Because I have something to show you. And my heart just leapt into my throat. And I was like, I she stopped me dead. I was quiet. And she's like, I have this book I need to show you. And she like gives me this book. And I stare at it and stare at it and try to like read it, which I don't know if you have ever tried to read things in dreams, but it's almost nearly impossible.
6: <laughs> I've never done that.
4: Um it's very, very hard. Um And I actually took up my phone in my dream and and wrote it in my phone notes so that I could remember it. And um, I felt like I could remember it. It was called the absence of memory. Um, And uh, then I asked her to take a selfie. She said, that's not a good idea. I said, come on, let's take a selfie because I always do this with celebrities and I guess ghosts when I meet them in dreams. I've met like Lady Gaga four times and I was like, let's take a selfie. And um, when we did, um, I turned into my mother and she turned into like a creepy like specter like turned fucking blue, hollow eyes and was like turning like, like she was gonna like bite me or something. And I woke up with a violent start. I was like paralyzed in bed for a few minutes I couldn't sleep the rest of the night because I felt like this bitch was sitting in the corner, just staring at me. There was a chair. I had a chair in a corner. So it was like, she was like sitting there. So I wake, I'm like, I'm all freaked out. Then I look at my messages and I see that Jerry messaged me after I had gone to sleep. So I hadn't seen it. And he said, Oh, I'm just like wishing you good luck tomorrow on the home inspection and I hope you have a restful sleep. So I summoned Fortuna and did a little spell. I'm like, okay, well I did not have restful sleep. So whatever (laughs) the fuck you did, it did not do that. (laughs) Opposite. Um, So I tell Jerry about my dream and we're both like, well, that's weird. What could it be? You know, is that Fortuna blessing you? Like, what is this? What is, we were trying to think like all these symbolic, who knows what, then, about a week and a half later, he has a dream in which he's in a bar, and I show up with that same book that I described to him in my dream. He reads it, same title, same, same everything. It's this, this like teal, teal book um, with uh, like cursive lettering. It's cloth, cloth bound, an old book. He opens it, and inside it says, Ex Libris Hazel I Drew and so like from the library of hazel drew and oh, here's,
5: that, here's the note i made following my dream in my diary oh,
4: wow. so he wakes up he tells me about his dream and we're both like who the heck is hazel drew we had never heard of hazel drew we didn't know who that was um after a little bit of googling uh we found that mark frost the guy who wrote Toon peaks with uh david lynch um, cited Hazel Drew as his primary inspiration when creating the character of Laura Palmer, because he had grown up in upstate New York. His grandma had warned him about Hazel Drew haunting the woods. She's like, "Don't go in the woods. Hazel Drew is haunting the woods," and so he knew all about her. He knew all about her story. He knew about her strange death. She was kind of. She had. Bec- she is. She has become legend and lore. People know about her. Um. So we're like, well, that's weird. This girl that died in Troy and you're moving to Troy? That's a weird (laughs) coincidence. What? Mm -hmm. So as he said, we had planned that he would come while we were moving to help me with handy things, um, unscrewing stuff from walls and breaking up broken, whatever, doing stuff like that. So he came and uh, now the mission was find out who who this woman is. So we went to her graveyard, and she's um, <laughs> not far from my house—about <laughs> no. fifteen minutes away. And when we went, we we couldn't find the grave. Um, we looked. It was for cold,
5: like, man. It was bad.
4: <laughs> we looked for like twenty-five minutes. We couldn't find her. We we each went like on different ends of the of the graveyard, and we couldn't find her. And finally, I'm like, eh, whatever, maybe we won't find her. Who knows? You know, we could be here all day. Um, So I just walked towards this tree that I found very compelling. This very big, very old, really spooky looking tree with a bunch of gravestones, like propped up against it all around it, like a a skirt of gravestones. So I I felt very drawn to it. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go check out this tree. So I went to the tree and I touched it, of course, because I have to touch old weird trees. That's like like a compulsion. <laughs> and when I took my hand off the tree, it hurt. It felt like it had gotten struck by lightning. It felt electrified. It felt like I, I got shocked. And it, it wouldn't stop. Like my nerves were on edge. They were keyed. Even talking about it right now, my hand hurts again. Like I can feel it. And I was standing there shaking my hand and going, "I shouldn't have touched. Why did I? I I shouldn't have done that. I touched the tree. I shouldn't have done that." And Jerry's like, "What?" And I'm like, "I shouldn't. I did this." And so, what does he do? He goes and he touches the tree. Of course, (laughs) we're both (laughs) idiots. (laughs) And so he goes and he touches the tree, and then he's like, "I'm gonna be sick." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "I'm gonna be sick. I'm serious. I'm gonna be sick." And he starts gagging and and retching and like kneeling like bending over like he was like felt like a serious serious reaction and he starts stumbling away from the tree the entire time kneeling over retching coughing just really (laughs) really I I just
5: want to put in you know like I'm a middle-aged you know dude and i thought this was the heart attack right like i was getting sick i was starting to sweat you know it's it's 10 degrees outside like it was freezing and i was like shit this is this is the one you know so i was literally that sick i i thought i was having like the middle-aged heart attack
4: and he's got like nerves of steel so i was extremely confused he's not somebody that it just gets you know old drama queen about stuff So, anyway, he kept stumbling, I guess, trying to move back towards the car. I was trying to get to my
5: car, yeah.
4: Getting out of the graveyard. He kind of went in a little side path towards, like, the main path down where the gates are. And then he just kind of stumbled down upon a grave. And it was her grave.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And it says Hazel across the top of it. That's I, I fell down. I couldn't walk anymore. Like, I'm trying to get to my car. I'm heading back the, the most expedient route. And I'm just like, I can't go anymore. Like I literally I had on like some North Face snow boots and this big old thing. I mean, I cannot express how cold it was. And I just I was like, I can't, I can't go any further. I'm like, if if this is the 45 heart attack. This is it. I'm just going to die in this graveyard. And I fell right down on my knees oh my God. and I, I put my hands on the top of this grave and I'm like, this is, I was like, Wheezy, this is it. This is the big one. And, and I put my hand down and I, I mean, looked down it. and it just said in all caps Hazel. 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 And I was like, I think I found it.
4: <laughs> and the nausea immediately stopped.
5: It all stopped.
4: He was suddenly totally fine. And I started walking towards him.
5: She took uh, some pictures, too. So yeah, this is not like we're so making this story the, up. You can actually you can see, see the foot, in the picture the she took runs. where I'm walking to the grave. Yeah,
4: yeah. You can see the path he took in the snow. As I walk towards him, I start feeling a, a, a presence, an energy, sort of a, a crackling behind me. And I feel a light tapping on the back of my head. And I hear a voice in my head saying like this, like this. And then I start to see a rock from like my point of view. Like if somebody was doing it to me, I see, I see, I feel like a rock is hitting me on the back of the head. And then I see a man dressed in a light summer suit with a mustache and brown hair, kind of thin, the suit, fit a little loose um and uh he kind of kind of like a twinkle in his eye and I hear him say hello beautiful beautiful and I'm like what and and Jerry's like did you just hear a man did you just did you just hear someone
5: say hello beautiful
4: yeah and we're both like okay this is getting weird And we're both kind of like seeing the murder as she sees it being played out. He sees it from like a bird's eye and I'm seeing it from like inside her head. So the experience leaves us quite shaken and overwhelmed. We leave the graveyard, we go to a diner nearby called the Country View Diner. It's kind of this lone diner, just the middle of nowhere. And we're sitting there just trying to relax, trying to like, you know, ground ourselves, tether ourselves to reality because we both feel like we're probably going insane. (laughs) And as we're sitting there trying to relax and I like got chicken soup and I don't know what you got, but um, this waitress walks by, her mouth isn't moving, but we hear her clear as day. And not like before where I heard it in my head, this was like, clear audience like we both heard it like it was a voice in the room we heard her say is hazel coming but her mouth wasn't moving she just walked by and said that like somebody was using her like a puppet for us just to just to talk to us no obviously nobody else probably heard it in the diner or who knows maybe somebody said it but i i doubt it
0: you I, should write a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: shit,
5: one of the, so one of the weirder things that happened I, again, I can't, I can't give away the killer though. He is up on the wall back there. So if anybody wants to focus, you can, see a <laughs> of him.
4: You can
6: zoom but
5: in, it, please don't. Well again, 1295 and you can find, but
4: <laughs> so on one
5: of my later trips, I, I came back and I, I went to the police department and this was
4: on the same trip.
5: Oh you're right it was that was next a-
4: day. you were on it you were on it you're, you're right
5: like, okay. i went i, went, I went. was on
4: the case immediately oh I was like okay i just had all these fucked up experiences <laughs> now i'm going to i'm going to verify you're right did, that was
5: the very same week he he went, I, went, I went i went to the a police theory.
4: department he had a theory about who it was so he went and he he checked
5: and I, I got a story from the records officer there. And they were like, no, the, the police station burned down, wink, wink, right about the time we shut down all the brothels here in this county. Um, but we do not have records of this case anymore. But she's like, yeah, your suspect is probably who did. it. So I went to another library, which I can't give away. And I got them. I, I, they did not want to cooperate with my investigation. So I made up a story. And got them to bring out my the, the file related to the person who I thought the killer was at that time. And when they brought it out, I opened the file folder. And the first thing that was on the top of the folder was a picture of the guy. 100% the guy that we saw in that vision. 100% thin guy balding, uh, clothes big, too big, mustache. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, this is some Twin Peaks stuff.
4: He's the guy. Right here, but he was the
5: guy. And then subsequently doing the investigation, you know, I don't want to say that we cherry picked anything, but he's the guy. He did it. The evidence is there. And people knew he did it. And it was a cover up at the time because he was powerful and rich and and people covered it up.
4: And she was expendable. Compared to her, she, she was a lot less important. She was just a 20 year old governess. And he was important. He was uh, an important, needed person in town. Yeah. So it's not expendable.
0: I'm not making a joke when I say this. I know I sound silly when I say stuff often. But it's kind of like how we said earlier, King Philip's War. That's kind of yeah. what we do here, right? Cover yeah. cover up like, it's not a conspiracy theory. Cover up things that are very ugly. You know? Yeah, I mean, 1908, right before
5: Hazel died, The crime of the century had taken place the what they called uh the gillette murder where the chester gillette the heir of the gillette fortune had murdered his lover who was a shop girl and there was no way they could cover it up and he was executed may hazel died in june he was executed because so everybody thought hazel was a repeat of of the the gillette murder but right about the same time Hazel was killed, another murder took place in upstate uh, where a member of the Taft family, you know, the Tafts, the president, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Um, uh, he was the district attorney and the, the the whole case pointed towards a murder and a cover up and he he declared it a suicide. They found a murder weapon. They, they found footprints at the scene, leaving the scene. They found tire tracks and he declared it a suicide. So, you know, they <laughs> There's a whole spate in Rensselaer County. You know, I found some murders that took place earlier in the year that were simply never investigated, where people were found on the banks of the Hudson, um, young girls. So, you know, Hazel's case was made big because she was a member of the local hegemony. She was not the upper class. But Troy in 1908 was run by um, an Irish. Uh, protestant not catholic irish protestant political machine um and hazel was a member of that class of society she would have been like the upper lower class and to get murdered you know as one of those kind of people in upstate new york in 1908 was across a the line right like you know if you'd been an armenian immigrant or an italian immigrant or heaven forgive, forbid a black person you know in those days the paper wouldn't have even covered the story but hazel was a member of the 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 squad so people and she was super popular like everybody in town loved her you know so so to kill her was was crossing a couple of major lines so for about a month you know her murder was the, the 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 story that had the whole american media captivated i mean i found stories about hazel's murder in germany australia worldwide you know You know she might literally be the first archetypal pretty white girl murder that created the true crime genre that we have to live with today but within a year people had completely forgotten about it like it it didn't it her murder didn't become of interest until really twin peaks came out in the 90s
4: and mark cross mentioned Just
5: casually mentioned that this was the inspiration. But only Mm -hmm. two books have been written about it. One came out a few years back, and another one came out last year. And with all... I mean, they're they're okay. There was
4: a documentary made locally. There was
5: a documentary. And I mean, these these authors, they're they're entertaining books. Maybe maybe we'll do a debate or something at some point. But I just think they missed some clues that were right there. So, you know, all due respect to those writers. uh, I just think they got the solution wrong.
0: You know, even today... There are some, I forget the show. It's on Netflix, but uh friend of the show, Ronald Kelly. Oh, yeah. He, she me a text a few nights ago. He goes, I'm not going to name the name of the town on air. I might have before, but just so I keep one of the very few things in my life private for now, uh, he goes, hey, so me and my wife are watching the show. It names your town. It, it, like, that's where you live, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, she died before I was uh, uh, two years, I moved two years after this girl died, but she was found in 2015 on railroad tracks, real really close to my house. Um, wow. they said it was suicide, it was late at night, but long story short, there was a pool of blood underneath of her, there was only one eyewitness. Um, basically, all the ev- evidence led to. Someone dropping the body off there, killing her. The pool of blood was from obviously an open wound. Um and they still ruled it, and to this day, it's a cold it's not a cold case. I don't know what the proper terminology is, but they still rule it as a suicide today when clearly it wasn't. And why why would this girl who has a lot of great things going on in her life, who has a lot of um plans for the future, going into college?
4: That's a thing. That's she, she. a weird, weird cases, you know. And there's, there's another one related to the Shirley Jackson that we brought up earlier. Wow. Uh, Paula Jean Weldon, um, the, the Hangs a Man. Shirley Jackson's The Hangs a Man is about this case, inspired by this case, hmm. because it happened locally and it happened during her time living in Bennington, because her husband was a professor at Bennington College. So the trail you know, this girl, she just vanished on the trail. And she was also like a college girl. And it's just it's very strange. You know, I mean, Hazel had everything going for her. She was doing really good. Especially in that last year, she was doing a lot of traveling, she suddenly had more money, like everything was kind of looking up for her. And um, she was a happy girl. She she loved to just have fun. She loved she actually I think she loved to read too. She, she was mm-hmm. kind of like a social a social nerd like a lot of us writers where we, we have our introverted time and we also like to go out and take the ferry and whatever, you know. <laughs> um but yeah she was her life was really expanding and she had, had grown up on a farm actually near where my current house is. I jumped <laughs> from 10 minutes from my old house. In Troy, <laughs> yeah, literally ten minutes. But I'm closer to where she grew up, and where she was killed, and where she, her body rests now than I was there. There, I was closer to where she worked, and lived.
0: I'm not. I don't know the other authors of the other two books that you mentioned, but I mean, given everything that you said, this just has more. It's it's like if one author were to just look at a plant. And they write about that and they see whatever history they can find. That's fine. But you literally have the root network of, of all of this going on. That's why I think that it's more exciting without anything. I mean, I've
5: got a different, you know, again, I, I like those other two books. I, they have some theories. I, I just, there's a, I think the, the key difference between what I've done and what others have done. I've looked at over 3000 newspaper articles. Um, you know, I, I've I've found evidence that other people just wouldn't have the ability to found, find just by doing a lot of research in databases, newspapers, books, court proceedings, things like that, that a lot of folks, you know, I mean, this is my job. This is what I do. I'm a professional analyst, you know, and, you know, I have worked on, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with the job, but I've worked on every high profile case that's come across international law in the last, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the deputy director of the office of the legal advisor of the state department. So, you know, I've worked on everything from Osama bin Laden to, you know, everybody, this is what I do. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying that I'm better at this than anybody else, but I take, I take, I take 30 years of experience as, as an analyst into this, experience so i looked at things that that other people would not know to look at right
0: they're not trained in Well, oh, they're not I'm, trained I'm, to do i'm that. assuming i'm assuming yeah. that they're. i don't know but again are you know we
5: I,
4: I mean I, I he'll like tell me updates you know as he, as he's researching you know and he'll just i mean he's combing through all the newspapers so think of like what he's mostly finding he's mostly yeah. finding things that have nothing to do with anything just yeah. stupid, mundane. But then you find some clues, you find a name, you find
5: clues. I have drug Lisa all over upstate New York pursuing some of the wackiest clues in the world because you can't yeah. not pursue them, no matter how insane they are. Mm. So, again, but I stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, the guys who wrote the other two books did very they got
4: good. got it rolling, though. I mean, I love yeah. that people are thinking about Hazel and wanting... I love that people are curious and want to yeah. know what happened. So...
5: But I think you know this is the third book on this subject. There's been a few podcasts. I just think that I've been able to bring some stuff to the table that other authors haven't found. And again, great, great books, very good books. Also, we oh.
4: had Hazel helping us.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't hurt.
4: We had a little leg up.
0: I, I personally, as a just a pure reader, a fan of Lisa, your your publishing house. Um, that's what. That's a big thing. Not a knock on any other press because i don't know enough about a lot of the others but you have a vested personal interest in them especially with Jerry and i think it's really cool i mean he just said you you guys are literally going driving places to
6: <laughs> yeah you
0: know, obviously indie presses can do that uh a lot easier than like yeah
4: no it's it's crazy investment that that that's funny to think of it that way i mean i kinda just think of it as like doing something fun with my friend but um uh yeah, I, I feel like as a publisher, I'm probably way more involved in this than any publisher ever, ever would be.
0: So obviously the next question is for Booty Holocaust. How invested are you with Travel with Duvet to check out that booty?
4: <laughs> um, I
0: told you, dumbass um, comment, incoming. <laughs> I'd,
4: be down. I'd be down.
5: I mean, um, I happen to know that Lisa likes booty. So
4: yeah. Um, I mean I I'd love to hang out with Duvet. I haven't had a chance Yeah, yet. He seems he's awesome. a cool guy. <laughs> very chill, very suave, su- suave motherfucker. Uh, knows how to dress. I love a yeah. man who knows how to dress. Jerry also knows how to dress. It's nice to go out <laughs> in public with him and people are like, Oh, actually we were in uh in Brattleboro, my old college town. We were checking out, we wanted to see my old, the first ghost I met. He wanted to see if he could see her and we went up to see her and we were hanging out in, in, uh, Brattleboro and this photographer, local photographer, we were having lunch outside. He came by and, um, he came up to Jerry and he said, excuse me, can I take your picture? And he he just loved his outfit. He loved how he looked. So he took He Ended up taking pictures of both of us. But Jerry was the one that he approached that that caught his eye. So, yeah. I
0: guess I know who the uh, good looking bald man would be if we ever. <laughs> I hang guess. Up. Yes, that was
6: pretty funny. That was pretty.
0: Funny. <laughs> That's cool though. Has that has that happened to you before? Um, I mean, I show up in a lot of
5: pictures. I like like just watch the news; you'll see me. But I'd, I'd never, like, like I'm always just kind of in the background. So people are always yeah. like, have I seen you before? And I'm like,
4: <laughs> was that the first time somebody did that, though? They just came up to you and said, I want to take your picture.
5: That was the first time somebody did that outside of Washington. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, they, he didn't know who you were. He just loved you. <laughs> no, wife.
5: that was wacky. And I, I did not were- look like anybody in Vermont. I had on a Panama no, hat. I looked like, like Hannibal look Lecter. Like I had on a Panama hat. And yeah. dark glasses and we a, a silk a silk Hawaiian shirt in Battleboro, Vermont. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> Brennan, I've done a lot of talking. Let's hear you, sir.
1: Uh, so, all right. So, Jerry, you've kind of covered this. I, I want to ask this more as a, is there anything else you want to add? But uh, And also, forgive me if I'm misquoting you, but you, I believe, said that uh, the true crime industry is problematic. So, oh, hell yeah yeah okay i'm not misquoting you so what i want to what i want to give you an opportunity to kind of expand upon is how's your book you know get away from that
5: so okay this is my first published true crime book so if i'm going to make enemies in the true crime community i'm going to do it honestly like i love true crime I, i love true crime i mean it is what i have on when i'm folding socks i love i mean love is the wrong word love is the wrong word but i grew up in a house where you know people's court was on 24 7 you know my mom was obsessed with this stuff she read me the sherlock holmes stories as a baby you know instead wow. of real stories because she wanted me to grow up to have you know that kind of an intellect you know and my mom is not educated but she is the most observant person you will you will ever meet you know she is a savant in terms of being able to look at you and, and say where you ate, where you came from. Like she's, she's incredibly intuitive about the way people uh, think and where they've been and what they've done. Like she's an incredible observer. And I, I, if I've even gotten a 10th of that skill, you know, I'll count that as a, as, as a win. So I grew up in a true crime household. Um, You know, the, the book that inspired me the most was Capote's in cold blood. And You know, I just, I just, I hope nobody will ever write a true crime book that good. My problem with true crime is that we've lionized the murders. You know, everybody knows who Jeffrey Dahmer is. Everybody knows who Jack the Ripper is. Nobody knows who their victims are. Mm. And my biggest problem is that we've turned murderers into heroes. And Mm. I just, it doesn't sit right with me. You know, we live in a country where the cops successfully arrest and prosecute Only about 2% of homicide victims' murders, only about 2% of murder victims get their cases fully adjudicated and closed successfully through a court of law. Um, The vast majority of of homicides in the United States go, go unpunished. And the vast majority of people who are murdered in the United States are people of color. And a large number of them are women and are sex workers. And it just sits wrong with me that we turn John Wayne Gacy into some kind of anti-hero and we don't even know who their victims were. So my book is different in that the story is about Hazel Drew, not her killer. We talk about her killer in the very last chapter, but this is about Hazel. It's about Troy, New York, and it's about a systemic abuse of women and working class people that made a man believe he could take a life with no accountability um, and get away with it. So the murderer in this story is not a hero and the robber barons and the people she worked for are absolutely motherfucking villains. So my book is about Hazel Drew. It's not about the murderer. And that's where I am. I am drawing a very hard line and where my book is different from other people's.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I I mean, I.
6: People
4: might not know is that I uh, we have actually already published Jerry uh, twice. Twice.
0: Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that.
4: Um, Three times if you count my zine that I printed out. Four
0: times if you
5: count the website.
4: (laughs) Um, but the first time was in True Detective stories, uh, Walk Hand in Hand to Extinction, True Stories. uh, Just not true stories, stories inspired by True Detective. Um, that's when I first encountered his writing. Um, and then, and I became a fan of his writing. And um, then I edited the Tragedy Queens anthology, stories inspired by Sylvia Plath of Manon Del Rey, which was primarily horror, uh, female-driven horror. And, um, and he wrote a story for that that um, was actually nonfiction, but it was so well written that you really can't tell, and it doesn't really matter. But um, it's it's probably the one of the shorter stories in there, yeah. and it, it, it's it's it still gives me a gut punch when I read it. Um, and I feel like because of these reasons, like I feel like Tragedy Queens is the reason that Hazel reached out to us. I feel like. Huh? Because I edited an anthology that was focused on uh, tragic women and wanting to hear the stories of the dead and the the ones who have had their voices stolen from them, and because Jerry wrote such a heartfelt, beautiful story for that anthology um, about somebody that he knew growing up that was kind of a tragedy queen of her own of her own kind. And he, he kind of, he has, he does have like, I feel like white knight syndrome is uh, not a good thing, but I feel like Jerry has it in the best way you can have it in that he really does care about this. And so I think Hazel knew that we cared. And she's like, you can publish and maybe he'll be my detective. Maybe he'll care enough about me to figure this out.
0: Um, that makes me wonder, do you think, Lisa? I'm asking you first and then Jerry. Do you think that, I'm not even saying any other departed with Hazel. Do you think that she knew what she did or do you think it's more of a feels and energy and it's a different kind of communication beyond um observational in the sense of like what we know of senses? Does that uh, make sense?
4: Yeah, I think it's a, a combination. It's hard for me to really know since I'm not her. I, all I know is what she says to me, and she seemed sure. very aware and focused and uh, aware that I ran a publishing house and aware that I had the power to disseminate the story um, and, uh, you know, obviously had some idea what Jerry's job was and his personal interests and where his emotions lie and knew that she could just kind of get into our heads. She knew that we were close to the point that we tell each other our dreams because she literally used our dreams as like to pass notes between us. She knew that we would talk. Like if I hadn't told Jerry my dream, nothing would have happened at all. But I told him and then he, she passed the book and then he found the name and then we started looking like we had no idea. I mean, we were both, we are both Twin Peaks fans, mm. um, but we're not like hardcore fans. Like we right. don't like look for comb for all the information. Like obviously the information was there because we were able to Google it and find out that Mark, what Mark Frost said. But we didn't know. I had never bothered to do any research. No, I
5: hadn't the- thought about Twin Peaks in years since when this came up.
4: I'm a Lynch fan for sure. I love Lynch. Oh
0: yeah. So Jerry curious, is there anything that you want to add as far as just, we can just talk about Hazel as far as like the afterlife we covered about, you know, you mean well skeptical at first. I don't know is all I know is that this started
5: right after she died. I'll, I'll read you one paragraph from the book. Hold on. The paranormal lean to this case was not contained to the drew family. Throughout the course of the investigation, District Attorney O'Brien references to the newspapers about receiving letters from the citizenry regarding the case. On July 26, the Troy Northern Budget noted that letters received by the DA during that week were from people, quote unquote, dreaming of the murder. Even the cursory Twin Peaks fan will note that receipt of vital information in the form of dream knowledge is a major plot device in the series. People started dreaming about Hazel Drew within days of when she died. I don't know why, but uh, that seems to be an aspect of this case that, again, it's reflected in the TV series. I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, that started in 1908.
0: <laughs> yeah. The okay, wow. The only, the only weirdest experience I've ever had had nothing to do with spirits, but I still remember it because it was so strange. Was when I was in, <clears throat> I think, a sophomore, junior in high school. My teacher was reading about uh, a story that took place in in Rome, and there was this Julius Caesar statue, and the nose started bleeding, and my nose started bleeding then too. And I told my teacher, and I feel like what? she thought it was crazy. Yeah, it was fucking weird. I'm not Roman. I'm a well, I'm That's Italian. Crazy. I got Italian to me. Yeah, that You're Italian. That only, I am Good. Italian. So
4: oh, there you go.
0: Yeah. Um, i said it wasn't at first but i'm like rome's in italy so uh anyways that that was super weird <laughs> only time it happened had nothing to do with spirits but um i kind of wanted to throw that random tidbit in there super Your are you're good
4: we had some there's things we can't talk about but we had physical changes happen to us hmm. as a result of this yeah I we mean, did
5: you lose your hair? <laughs> yeah, I lost my hair. No, I started losing my hair. I can race, ask that. So. I don't, you know. Twin this... Peaks was literally on TV in its first run when I started losing my hair, so I've been for a long. Oh time. shit. Okay, but um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I want to make clear that the book is straight, right? Like we talk about a little of this stuff, but every every accusation I make, every supposition I make, is backed up with hard evidence. So there's nothing in that book that you can't go verify for yourself um, in the in the public historic record. So the podcast, we're going to have a little more fun with because you can have more fun in podcasts and, and kind of get, get a little goofy with it. But the book is straight. We do tell the story about how we got involved in the case because you can't. And then, you know, Hazel and her mom were into some weird paranormal shit. And then the murderer turns out to have been ins- into some weird paranormal shit. So we have to talk about it. But I just wanted to make it clear to everybody that this is not a channeled, you know, book. Every single thing that I assert in the book is backed up with with documentary evidence.
0: That's, that's really neat. So is there anything you can tell us about the podcast? Um, I got to write it. <laughs> the podcast is going to be fun, right?
5: Like I'm thinking, I, I think I think it's going to be narrated by me. We're going to do a lot of B-roll on site. I've got some, some actors who are going to do recreations and things like that. It's going to launch on Twin Peaks Day 2024, and it's going to clu- conclude on the book release date. It's going to be 11 episodes, wow. and it will cover you know aspects of the case as well as some stuff that's not mentioned in the book just to kind of bring people to Troy New York in 1908 New York City 1908 we're just going to have fun with it you know and we're so, going to talk
4: we'll talk about we'll talk yeah. more about like the weird ghost story and right and just talk about it that
0: that sounds fucking cool
4: Okay. i don't know what i'm
5: doing so it's going to be an adventure but we've got a lot of people who want to help it's it's going to be fun you
4: gotta do the recreations i mean that's that's a cool that's so cool because it's like an old radio show that's, yeah yeah
5: i've written some intro music mm-hmm. um it's going to be great so well, it's I'll going to be th- neat
0: i'll throw my hat in the, in the my name in the hat if you guys need help with I'll,
5: whatever. I'll take it because i i can i have no idea what
0: i'm doing <laughs> Seriously, reach out. I'll give you my info after we're done you recording. Could be
6: the police
4: chief. It could be the the. the
0: <laughs> <laughs> he'd be a good. He'd be a good DA O'Brien. <laughs> DA, you
4: you
0: can be O'Brien.
4: You can be the DA. Be I am talking
0: about behind the scenes, but yeah, whatever. I don't you know. got to You're Irish, right, McDonough?
4: House, so you're good,
0: man. McDonough. Yeah, I'm mostly Irish. Uh, turns out I got Scottish in me, a quarter Scottish, and um, like twenty percent Italian. Nice. So nice. yeah, very much the European. Um. We're going to jump to the outro questions now. So, uh, first, Jerry, where can people follow you? Uh,
5: Hazel was a good girl at Instagram and Drake investigates.com.
0: And Lisa, where can people follow you in the uh, press?
4: Um, Clash is on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And that whatever that new one is. that
5: Hive social. Hive. Yeah, I'm on Hive Social, too, but it's down right now.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's not just me. It's been down for a few days. Uh,
4: t- so much for that. Um, and <laughs> they tried. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in those places as well, under my name, Um and ClashBooks.com, of course, is where you can find our books and find um, news of upcoming events and our reading series. in Troy... At El Dorado, we just actually just had Jerry up. Uh, He read an excerpt. It was really cool. And we'll resume in uh, February. So hopefully there's local people listening because I love that we can finally do local stuff.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Do you want to mention any uh, upcoming Clash books?
4: Which upcoming Clash books?
0: Any. Literally any. (laughs) Any that you
4: want. I, I can't even think. There's a lot.
0: Brennan, Annie, come to your, do you have a list on you?
4: Uh, Eric LaRocca. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: Eric, Eric, yeah. Cool. Eric, Eric, we're publishing Eric LaRocca's debut full-length novel. Yep. There it is. Somebody's got yep, the arc. Good.
0: Super Ooh. thankful for that, Lisa. And Everything the arc. The
4: arc I, I swear to God. I mean, I love the final, but the arc looks really cool. And shout I out like to it. Todd Kelsing for amazing book designing. He's just like a wizard. He's done an amazing job. We're gonna have all kinds of cool swag to come with the pre-order. There's like a little custom map of Henley's Edge that Todd drew, hand <laughs> drew. And um, they're signed of course. And uh, it, it's, it's. I want to give people like a whole experience. Yeah. Um, when they get when they get that book package nice. so
6: it's
4: gonna be really fun and
5: we're... i i want to add that's one thing There's that clash does them. really well is like if you order from them they they put a lot of stuff into the packages yep. they're super cool
0: yeah yeah agree not
5: that i haven't spent time building those packages but
0: <laughs> jerry do you have any final thoughts sir
5: no just you know, follow, follow, follow the case on Hazel was a good girl and uh, follow me on, uh, on Hazel or Drake and check yeah. it out. Like this is, this is, this is going to be a slow burn, right? We're going to roll it out over all of 2023 and 2024. This is not my job. This is my hobby. It's a labor of love. It's going to be so much fun, you know, get in on the ground floor of this thing and just have fun with it. So, you know, can you it's, show
4: it's- us any of your murder wall? Like,
6: Oh,
5: sure. What do you want to see? So here is Hazel Drew up there. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff. I had to cover up some things over here you can't see. But this is basically where I put all the clues during COVID, whenever we were living up here to take care of everything. Um, So these are the suspects. There's a killer right there, but you can't see his name. Um, So, you know, I just had fun building this case. This is my library. I live in an old Victorian house up in York, Pennsylvania, and, you know, just had fun during COVID sitting in this room during the day and all night long kind of working on this thing. So I, I thought I'm very visual. I'm very graphic. And uh, it was fun to build a murder wall around this case. <laughs>
6: Sounds awesome, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lisa, do you have any final thoughts?
4: Um, just uh, think about Hazel. Google Hazel. Um, the more you think about her. Uh, the more likely she will come to visit you. <laughs> uh, to want me
6: that.
4: Mess. <laughs> be like, bring me flowers, bring me fruit. I want this. I want that. She has a lot of things she wants. So yeah, one a very what? demanding ghost that loves peaches and the color blue, and to read books and to. There's her house, her books, little her. blue
5: house right there.
4: She just loves, she loves to have fun and she loves people talking about her. So if you talk to her, if you, if you find yourself talking to someone about her, you're going to notice certain strange feelings. You're going to start getting chills. You're going to feel a little rush of excitement. That's her watching you talk about her and getting very excited because she loves when people talk about her.
0: Brendan, we're spreading a drug around yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean one one thing I would
5: add, if you want to visit the real tri- Twin Peaks, go to Troy, New York. You 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 know, go to Manry's diner, it's the diner like the that's oldest the spot. diner
4: in, in Troy. The I mean diner. Lynch Lynch you can get, said it in the vodka milkshakes and beer Mosa's there.
5: So <laughs> I mean Lynch said it in the Pacific Northwest because that was his vibe, but Mark Frost was clearly inspired by upstate. So go go to Troy, Troy go to is, Albany. Troy
4: is the real Twin Peaks. It's
5: the real Twin Peaks.
4: That sounds
5: awesome. Um,
0: Brennan, any final thoughts, sir.
1: Uh Lisa, always a pleasure. We are always happy to have you on to talk clash and uh, appreciate you sharing all those stories. I, I I got I got the hairs on my arm standing up like you know for the last hour, but I, I I love hearing it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And Jerry, so cool to meet you, man. Thank um, you so I much. Love those sample chapters, and I cannot wait to get my hands on the full thing.
5: You'll get the first copy. Oh wait, you're on you're on record.
2: <laughs> no, I'm serious.
5: This was so much fun. You guys asked the kind of questions I like, so this was so much fun. Oh, awesome.
0: oh that's love awesome. to hear that. I didn't realize you, you're such a history nerd like me. So that oh made... my god, yeah. You, you guys want to go to Bennington? Let's go do a live show out in Bennington. I'll, I'll go tomorrow. <laughs> I like Vermont, but that's kind of fun. I'm I'm down in South Jersey. <laughs> that's not close to me. I don't think. Oh, you you told me where you're at. I saw that show. <laughs> oh okay, yeah. yeah. It's fucking weird. This is a small town. Like, it's a small yeah. town vibe. I like it. My wife and I love this area. Yeah. And uh, it's really creepy to think. We, we that, were just uh, out at
5: Hudson Road for Halloween. My wife and I went out and investigated that. So, yeah. And Westfield, all that stuff. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> um, my final thoughts are um, hopefully my son's not leaving the house ever. Um oh, in all seriousness. So, we bought this house in 2017. It was going through a period where we were at her stepfather's... uh, My father-in-law, not stepfather. uh, My father-in-law. So, there's like a six-month period where the house was getting worked on. I mean, we come here, like, whenever to clean up certain things. But long story short, um, it took us six months to notice that there was uh, names written in paint under the basement stairs. It's like... Every nice. step has a name. It has a date. It's like July. I'm not. This isn't the correct date, so don't Google it and be like you're wrong, dumbass. It says like July twenty third, nineteen twenty two, something like that. And um, we have never felt creeped out in this home. It's. It feels like it's just like it, it's a creepy thought that that's there, and that's totally like a horror movie sort of thing, but um, it actually feels kind of comforting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really all it is. It, it sounded super creepy, but... You can also never paint over that. No, I mean,
5: you can't. That's how you get a haunting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I know we're running long, but I have to confess, my wife and I found a grave in our backyard here. You know, we thought this house was haunted. We found a grave, and to kind of consecrate it, we turned it into a fountain. Um, but yeah, some old houses like this are just super, super weird. And, you know, everybody who comes to this house who's even remotely spiritually inclined is like, oh, God, this place is super haunted. Don't your <laughs> cats like, constantly
4: see things in the stairs? The cats
5: get weird in this house. During COVID, when we had them up here full time, they were just weird. They were just always, like, staring at the wall and arguing with things that weren't there. And cyan cats sat at the top of the stairs and, like, looked down all night long. You know, it's 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 a very weird, and there, we have a lot of blind uh, uh spaces in this house. No one would build a house like this today. Like when you come into a room, you can't see all the doors, and when you stand at the bottom of the stairs, you can't see what's at the top of the stairs. Oh, so it's just creepy. a really creepy house. Yeah. <laughs> I love it though.
0: <laughs> How old is your house? It was built in about 1870. We Usually don't exactly sorry. know
5: when. Yeah.
0: Mine was built in 1918 and got moved to where yeah. I currently live in the not like 1920, but um all right. So uh it's yeah. wow, so fucking creepy and I'm going to to bed after this. Yeah. So mine was built in 1973 and it's not horrifying.
5: Man, so. that's terrible. That's horrifying. You you've got like a cocaine cowboy haunting that place, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so next episode is actually inspired by Michael um Seidlinger. Uh, Dan Sean he's our next guest for 178 he is the author of um, probably most noted for Ill Will uh, serial killer book it's yeah that's a fucking weird book it's great it's just super weird but yeah that's the next episode I can't wait to talk to him and uh as always you have many choices in podcasts thank you for picking us